This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for Friday, April 21st, 2023. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Home Editorial Director Peter Serretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Home Writer and Box Office Analyst Ryan Scott. Hey, everyone. How's it going? It's Friday. Uh, news is a little slow. So I actually half of this episode is going to be some Mandalorian season three or actually, yeah, like uh, some speculation about where Mandalorian's going. So that's going to be after the break, the middle break. I will give you a spoiler warning if you haven't seen uh, season three of the Mandalorian. But we have a couple. We have a few news stories to get to before then. Let's start with Netflix, which is apparently officially ending their DVD by mail service this fall which I don't know, I'm not sure if I know anybody that still has a DVD by mail. Actually, Ben Pearson might still have a DVD by mail service. I remember him saying that like last year. Uh, But tell us about it, Ryan. Yeah, so I had actually subscribed to the DVD stuff a little bit ago because I just got tired of like, is this somewhere? Is it not? Like when I knew I specifically wanted to watch something. So like you could just order it. It shows up. You watch it, it. You know. But um, but yeah, this is what's crazy is is uh, as of September of this year, the what started Netflix, what kicked off Netflix before streaming came in is going to be shuttered. So the last discs will be sent out on September 29th. Uh, those who are still subscribed will have until October 27th to to send their discs back. And then that's it. Then Netflix is only a streaming company. And I think one of the I didn't even really talk about this much in my article, but I think what's interesting is that like. We've talked a lot about how like these other media companies that are getting into streaming, you know, like Disney, if their entire streaming empire fell apart, they would still have a huge company. Netflix didn't have a lot of diversification, and this is one of the few things they had that wasn't reliant on streaming, and now that's gone. So now they are pretty much purely a streaming company, which is interesting um, because most of the other giants in the industry aren't that. They are other things as well. So that that's certainly interesting. Yeah, it makes sense that it lasted this long, especially for like rural areas where you don't get good internet enough to stream. I guess now with like Starlink, any place in the uh, in right. the United States can get like and that, that uh, was what kept internet. it alive. Yeah, that was what kept it alive for a long time. Was the was the that whole thing? But yeah, that that's more or less been less of a problem for a couple of years now. And so you know, we're just kind of to a point where. And I think that like the last count was they only had three million subscribers and. You know, whereas the most recent um, subscriber count worldwide was like 232 for streaming. So 
yeah, it's just pales <laughs> in comparison. The big question we've been speculating a lot about in the Slash Film Slack is like, what the heck is Netflix going to do with all the DVDs? Because they have warehouses full of these things. Yeah, what what are they going to do? Like, they're not going to just put them in a landfill, right? Well, but that's the only thing. Like, Funko recently, I think we talked about this, recently had something like tens of millions of dollars worth of unsold merchandise that the cheapest way for them to get rid of it was to literally dump it in a landfill. And so, like, I, I can't help but wonder because I guarantee you Netflix did not keep all of, like, the jewel cases for these Blu-rays oh, and DVDs. not at all. Because it would take up a ton of space in the warehouse, right? So, like, how many people are going to actually want, like, the enveloped DVDs or Blu-rays? I don't know. Like, I don't know if a lot of collectors would. Maybe for, like, a, you know, maybe, like, for fun, just to have a couple to be like, look, old Netflix DVDs. But, like, I, I guess in my collection, I don't know if I would want them that way. So, I don't know if they'll be able to sell them or, or they'd probably have to sell them for, like, dirt cheap. See, my physical collection, I've gotten rid of all the jewel cases. I just have them in, like, uh, uh, not binders. Um, it's it's kind of like these sleeves. So um, Really? So, you got rid of the cases? Yeah, it just takes up a drawer now instead of taking up a whole wall, which ah, see, I, I get love it. The wall. I, I love the wall. I love the wall, too. But, like, it just, like, took up so much. At one point, I had um, over 2,000 DVDs, and it was taking up two walls in my house. Yeah. And I was just, like... You know, I, I I want that wall space back. As much as it was cool, like when someone comes over and like is like, oh, what movies you got? But at one point, when you have two thousand DVDs, it's like, what movies don't you have? Yeah, um, you can't you can't go give my girlfriend ideas because like we got a whole corner of our apartment <laughs> that's just not because I have more CDs than than Blu-ray, so I have I have like a thousand CDs, and then I have all my Blu-rays too, so I have like two, you know. So yeah, can't start giving her ideas that I can get rid of that somehow. But uh, but. Um, I wonder if they're going to do like a warehouse sale where everybody can come into the warehouse and like, it's just like, you know, I suspect it would be an online thing. Probably like they, they would just liquidate. I, I, I really don't think it would be beneath them to just dump them in a landfill though. We should like contact Netflix. I'm sure they've been contacted by them enough outlets. Well, and there like, was that. If- did you, did you see the red box thing? No. The CEO of Redbox has apparently tried to he's wanted to buy Netflix's DVD business for a long time and he's contacted them several times about it and then after this news broke he's like yeah I'm hoping now that like this now that because they're going to get rid of it maybe they'll let me buy it now because like Redbox still has a pretty sizable business and it would make way more sense for them to have Netflix's DVD business and just keep that alive you know, and Netflix could just divest it to them instead of getting rid of it entirely. But, but in the Hollywood Reporter, like they contact Netflix, and Netflix is like, we don't have any plan to sell the service. We're just ending it. So that's probably not going to happen. But that's interesting. Yeah, three million customers is nothing to sneeze at. But I, I feel like if you're Netflix, do you really want to help out a competitor, even if it's and that's a competitor the point that they would space. rather dump those DVDs in a landfill than help Redbox. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's talk about this weekend's box office. Evil Dead Rise comes out, and we we already have some numbers from from last night, which looks very promising. It does. Uh, so, you know, the one thing to remember is that everything is relative. So, um, you know, uh, Evil Dead Rise was originally supposed to be an HBO Max release, but it, it did go to theaters, and uh, it's not going to top Mario this weekend. There's no way. Mario's going to win its third weekend in a row very easily. However... Uh, Evil Dead Rise only carries a $15 million production budget, so it does not need to win the weekend. Uh, It made $2.5 million in Thursday preview screenings, which is good. 
Um, as for how that stacks up, uh, 2013's Evil Dead made $1.9 million from Thursday screenings on its way to a $25.7 million opening weekend. Now, that was from 10 p.m. preview screenings on. Evil Dead Rise was 7 p.m. on, if, if around, give or take around there. So, you know, there's a little bit of wiggle room there. But uh, it does indicate that, that Evil Dead Rise could, given that it's got better word of mouth and, and reviews than The Last Evil Dead did, that it could exceed that 25.7 open, uh, million opening weekend. And for the record, the high end of industry estimates right now is around 25 million. So it's it's certainly possible that it that it could uh, eclipse that. Um, uh, some recent comps like the Black Phone did three million in previews and had a 23.6 million dollar opening weekend. Smile had a two million dollar previews for a 22.6 million dollar opening weekend. But the point that I made is those were not connected to major franchises, so that whole franchise element plus the buzz could get it over that hump, I think. Interesting. Um, we, well, I mean, we'll, we'll end up talking about this on Monday, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, let's move on. Let's talk about Transformers. You know, they have a film coming out this summer, Rise of the Beast, uh, but they also have an animated film in the works. I think they announced this a couple of years back. It was we, back we, in 2020 they announced it. Yeah, we don't ha- we didn't have much information about it until now because obviously the producer of the Transformers films is out doing some press and we we learned some more about it. So tell us about it, Ryan. Yeah, so um this was again announced in 2020. Josh Cooley of Toy Story 4 fame it was said to be directing it and and that apparently remains true. Uh so uh the movie's actually happening and what's more than that, it's coming out next summer. So this is well into production. Um, so July, 2024, you're going to see this uh, currently untitled animated Transformers film, but, uh, producer, uh, Lorenzo de Bonaventura, who has been a longtime producer of the franchise, uh, was speaking with Collider and, and shed quite a bit of light on what we can expect from this. So we'll go over some of these quotes and we can talk about it, but, uh, said we debated about, uh, debated a lot about it in live action and it just wasn't financially possible to do, which is the origin story of young Megatron and young Optimus. If you know the origin, they started as friends, and over time, uh, uh, things devolved for them, and they ended up on two sides. So we're telling the young Optimus and the young Megatron story. We really are telling the origin story of all Transformers, but what they were at the beginning of it, and how they grow, and how they grow apart. Uh, speaking a little bit further, he said, "We're hoping that there is enough emotional construct to that that would lead to a trilogy of it. Because personally, I think there's a natural trilogy. I'm not always looking to do multiple movies, but there's a natural trilogy around their relationship. So you're going to see Cybertron in a way you've never seen it, that no one's ever seen it before. Because we're doing animation, we're allowed to really go all out. If you tried to make this in live action, it would probably be a billion dollar movie or something." Um, well, so he yeah, keeps then. on mentioning live action. Like, how would you even do it in live action? It would all be computer animated. Well, in theory, in theory, in theory, you could do like live action cars when they're or whatever other forms they're taking. You know, you could yeah. build real sets of that. You could build actual sets to have the Transformers in. You know what I mean? Like, you could do it more live action as opposed to animated. Like, Sort of in the way in the argument that like, you know, the 2016 Lion King is technically animated, even though it looks like it's live action, kind of do something like that. But but whatever the case, you know, we're going to go way back in the timeline, going back to Cybertron, which we only saw a little bit like the opening of Bumblebee, which is pretty cool. Um, But uh, 
Yeah, then I sort of t- talked a little bit. I don't know if you watched, but there was the Transformers War for Cybertron trilogy that was on Netflix a couple of years ago. And this sounds a little bit like that. Um, and I thought that was pretty good uh, for my money. So I, you know, it's an interesting prospect, I think. Yeah, no, I, I mean, when I was a kid, I was so obsessed with Transformers and I loved all the animated stuff. And, you know, I know people these days, especially in like, you know, the uh, film Twitter bubble, you know, that no one seems to be loving Transformers. It, it seems like... Uh, there's Transformers fatigue or maybe just the direction of what those films became. Um, but I don't know. I, I feel like I would be so excited about this if it, if it was like 10-year-old me. But yeah. I, now that you have like, you know, that, that, that series on Netflix that you mentioned, uh, which, you know, had much uh, uh, like a whole huge landscape to tell that story over than just like two hours, which this animated film will probably be. Well, but they, but but that trilogy, what's interesting about that Cybertron trilogy was like, they were really short episodes and short seasons. So they really more or less played like movies. And yeah. like, and, you know, if you're talking about this potentially being a trilogy like that, was you know, so I think there's room there. But um, he did have one other thing to say, which I guess we should go over before. Um he said, you're going to see a lot of origins of the society and what broke it apart. The analogy for me is a bit like Krypton, where you saw the planet planet falling apart and all that. We're not there for a short time. We're there the entire time of the movie. We're on Cybertron. But we are in the challenge that, if you know the lore, they begin to question the hierarchy of how their society has gotten uh, stratified and how the common man doesn't have the voice entirely that they want to have. We're following very true to the origin story of it, and so it's really fun, too, because I've gotten to see some of it. It's not fully executed by any stretch of the imagination, but hearing Optimus and Megatron not as we know them as, which we see their maturation in this experience. So, in a sense, you're hearing a different character because you're hearing them before they have matured. So, it kind of sounds like they're going to have different voice actors, too, which is kind of interesting. Hmm. I'm not sure if I like that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. That was the one part that I was a little soft on, but I will say as as like maybe the preeminent defender of, of several of the Transformers movies, particularly the original 2007 Michael Bay movie, I will defend to the death. Uh, I am feeling very optimistic about uh, where the franchise is going. I think Rise of the Beast looks great, and I think this sounds like a lot of fun. In my head, I'm just hearing like, what would a prepubescent Optimus Prime even sound like? And it uh, does not sound good. There's absolutely <laughs> a bad version of that for sure. Okay, we're we're going to talk about Mandalorian coming up, but we're going to take a break, a quick break. We'll be right back. Okay, uh, you know we we do a we we did a weekly Mandalorian recap podcast on on this feed every Wednesday uh, that that came to an end this week. But there has been some speculation since the release of that episode. We recorded early in the morning on Wednesday, the day it, uh, it's released. And I wanted to bring up a couple things that have been circulating online, some some speculation on how uh, things might be going going forward. But before we get to that, you know, obviously, Mandalorian Season 3, spoiler warning right now. If you have not seen Season 3, uh, there's going to be spoilers. But Ryan, you have seen Season 3. What did, what did you think of Season 3? What an odd season of television. Um, There were high highs and very low lows. Um, I don't know. It was very odd. I, I, uh, uh, it was by far the worst episode of the, of the entire series in this season. And, and, and I think like a couple of very good episodes, but um, 
It felt very, very strange to me. And I think we talked a little bit about how there was some speculation that maybe like Grogu wasn't originally going to come back this season. And then like maybe Disney mandated that he did. And the, the as this season finished up, like it f- made more and more sense to me that like John and Dave maybe didn't plan that originally. Um, I don't know. But but uh, yeah, I, I very mixed on it by the end of it, for sure. Yeah, we talked about that on the re- on the Mandalorian spoiler podcast, and we kind of came to the conclusion that as much as that theory seems like it could hold water, like it doesn't make sense timeline wise with how when this when everything like uh, when everything would have been written. Do you know what I mean? Like Book of Boba Fett was already filming when you know the end of season two came out, so it's like I don't know. I don't know. It, it seems like fan speculation to me. But anyways, uh, I do agree with you. It was very uneven for a season. I I almost wish that they had just done like they did with Book of Boba Fett and they did a spinoff uh, season of TV called The Mandalorians or Mandalore or But I don't know something. if that would have played, right? Like, I think that, like, they really wanted to, like, get this. Because I think the thing is this story is clearly doing a lot of heavy lifting for the eventual movie. So yeah. I think that they needed people to tune in, and I think that you had to put it under that Mandalorian banner to make that happen. I mean, that's true, true. But um, I do think that there was a little bit of expectation versus what it delivered. Like, you know, people wanted Grogu and Mando going off on adventures, and it was more about Bo-Katan and Mandalore. Yeah, they and... wanted the show that they made before. <laughs> Shows evolve, is what I'm saying. <laughs> no, fair enough. I'm just being, I, I don't know. And again, yeah. I'm not even one of those people that, like, like I don't, I didn't, I don't, I don't. I'm okay with the show evolving, but like, but and and I don't have a problem. I love Bo-Katan actually, and I think that like a lot yeah. of that stuff worked. But I just think it was a weird, it was a very weird, uneven season of television. Like it was very strange. I agree. I, I think they need a writers' room. I think John Favreau needs a writers' room. Like it's, he seems like he's doing all it himself, and like you know, he would have more time to like be involved in these shows and direct more episodes and stuff like that if he had a writers' room. I feel like a writer's room could help this series. Yeah, but I'm not really sure. I do think, though, I if I were to guess, I would say, especially the way that season three ended up, this is probably going to be like the odd duck season. I feel like the next one probably wouldn't be as uneven. And, uh, you know, like, I just think they had a lot of, like, stuff to kind of shove in here. And especially because they had to kind of take plot lines that would have been in um rangers of the new republic and force that stuff in here so i think that this this season ended up saddled with baggage it didn't want and uh you know yeah no i i agree there uh okay so there's a couple things uh you know the pent ultimate episode of the season was called the spies and in that episode we only saw one spy we saw the msd officer at the beginning of the episode report to moff gideon and uh that led many people to to speculate between uh, the week of the seventh episode and the eighth episode, you know, who was the other spy? You know, we only saw one spy and like a lot of people thought it was Axe Wove. Some people thought it was the armor. Turned out there was no other spy. So the title of the spies, a lot of people were like, you know, why did they call it the spies? Because why wouldn't they call it the spy? If there's only one spy, um, star Wars explained, it was a YouTube channel. I follow, uh, had a theory today i wanted to bring up uh uh, it was from one of their uh viewers it said uh well first of all there's a lot of similarities between mandalorians and jewish people john favreau's mother is jewish uh so it to set up this theory this is a uh you know a jewish 
uh, story that John would probably be familiar with. So in Hebrew, the, the spies were 12 Israelite spies that went to investigate the land promised them by God after they had been enslaved in Egypt away from their homeland. And when they returned, they needed to battle the people that ended up occupying the land during their absence. And there was 12 Israel, Israelite spies. There's 12 Mandalorians that go down to Mandalore. So the theory here on the title for chapter 22, I think, of The Mandalorian is that it is a, uh, a biblical tie-in to the, the Old Testament. What, what are your thoughts on that, Ryan? It's not like biblical parables in Star Wars or anything new. Um, yeah. You know, the whole, like, you know, Anakin being, you know, a Jesus figure with, like, the Immaculate Conception and stuff. Like, so, I, you know, I sure, like, I buy that. I, I buy that. I mean, it's, it's not, it doesn't like, it doesn't do a lot for me. Like it doesn't like, I think it's interesting. It's like, but, but you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not one of those people. Like, I think we've talked about this. I'm a very surface level watcher. Like I, I, you know, so like for me, you know, the whole, like, what is this parabling? What is this blah, blah, blah. That doesn't do anything for me. I'm there to watch star Wars. Like, you know, like, and I, and again, I know that like, I write about this stuff for a living and people expect an amount of introspection from me that just yeah. probably isn't there most of the time. <laughs> I am not that person. Um, so like, you know, whatever, but like, so, it's, but I do, but again, I do, it's interesting and I would buy that. I would buy that as an explanation for sure. I'd also say that this show and the season in particular, I wouldn't describe as highbrow uh, where you're looking for, you know, those kind of things. Uh, so I, I'm not sure if it, it brings an, another level to that episode or not, but, um, I don't know. I appreciate, I appreciate the, uh, the idea of this and like that, that satisfies my, uh, because, you know, I was kind of left like, like, what the heck, who are the spies? Uh, I, I, I tell you, I tell you the level at which I don't even pay. I didn't even, I didn't even put together that there was a singular spy <laughs> and the episode was plural tied to that. Didn't even, that did, that literally didn't even register with me. Yeah. Um, okay. The other thing is in the final episode, uh, Moff Gideon is killed and, uh, in theory, right. Like we, we don't see the body. So who knows? Yeah. So yeah, we, we said that on the podcast, we were, we were kind of like, you know, is he still alive? Is he not still alive? Is it a clone? Is it not a clone? But one thing we didn't observe is, uh, and the first Twitter account I saw that brought this up was star Wars Academy on Twitter. I think you've posted another Twitter account in our Slack channel, but they said uh, Moff Gideon has a mustache in the first two seasons of Mandalorian. When he appears in season three, he no longer has a mustache and he shares a similar look with the clones in the tanks. Is it possible that Moff Gideon who perished in the finale was not Moff Gideon, but actually a Moff Gideon clone? What do you think of this theory, Ryan? (laughs) Kind of interesting. I mean, this is one of the ones that I like, because again, this is like in universe stuff, right? So um, it's definitely an interesting theory. And and I, and I, because like we didn't see what happened because there was that earlier episode where like they found Moff Gideon's transfer ship and he was gone and people were dead. So like, we don't know that the original Moff Gideon survived that extraction or like that the intention was to, you know, it could very well be a clone. And, and, one of the things that like, because we've talked a lot about the whole heir to the empire thing, and that's clearly where this is going. You know, you had Captain Pellion in the final uh, episodes, which is like, oh, that's Thrawn's right hand man. <laughs> and so cloning is a gigantic part of 
of Heir to the Empire. And one of the things with the clones in Heir to the Empire is like the clones are imperfect, right? They, they, they act a little off and stuff. So like you could, it would be maybe worth analyzing like Moff Gideon in like the season two finale versus Moff Gideon in like the season three finale and like looking at like how the performance was handled and like, is there anything off? Is it a little weird? Maybe, you know, is there some clone behavior there? I would be, I would be interested in looking, looking into that. Yeah. The the one thing I want to say is like, this is him not having a mustache is a intentional choice. They don't go, you don't go into filming a show of this caliber, actually almost any show with them. Like, you know, with, uh, that actor showing showing up on step uh, on on set without the mustache and they're being like well you, you know like the, there are requirements to actors to like have their you know hair and makeup and or like not makeup let's but, do, like, let us never forget the superman mustache debacle let us never forget that like <laughs> paramount would not let henry cavill yeah. shave his mustache to go film his superman scenes so we have some of the most unsettling cgi you will ever see in a mainstream blockbuster because they had to cgi a mustache off of henry cavill's lip i mean how how long does it take to grow a mustache for me it's only like a a few days so like to me in my mind like it's not like he has another gig that he needed to work around like it's not like the henry cavill situation right like so to me, it seems like it's a choice that he didn't have a mustache. Now, did, that- I, I agree. It did seem deliberate. And like the hairstyle. And, and again, like Dave Filoni, you know, is is a man who his whole his whole career is based on attention to detail. Right. Because he's working in the margins a lot of the time. Like he's wor- he's telling stories where there is like a razor thin area to tell a story. So yeah. you've got to be deliberate. And so, you know, <laughs> especially given what they're setting up and how they're setting it up everything that's being done i guarantee you like feloni is like this is intentional there is a reason for this okay so if this is a clone of moff Gideon, he didn't show force powers which apparently the clones were supposed to have but maybe he was an earlier clone well but that's before. only the clones that like are it's not like a clone inherently has force power that wasn't like the yeah it, but so anyway but yeah so um what okay, so if he is a clone that died, Moff Gideon is elsewhere and he's gonna return in Mandalorian season four and the the other stuff. Like, how do you feel about that? Are you like for me, like I love that actor and I love that character so much that I almost want to see him return, but at this point he's been defeated like three times. And it's like maybe we should move on. Yeah, I I here's the thing. The clone thing would be the only way that like if he comes back, I'm like, okay, you know, sure clones right but like but if it's not a clone and he just survived like that bums me out like because he should absolutely be dead but um but it yeah, was like, a best car um armor that he had on so uh, maybe I, it's uh, enough, I don't think his helmet was closed when the flames started hitting right like so i feel like yeah yeah so that's the only thing for me right like i i i uh I, I would not be super happy about that. But like, if it is a clone and then you're like, you sort of, cause then that sort of tees up a lot of things. That, that, so I'm okay with that. I just don't know how you, you explain that. If that's the fact, if that's the story they're going with, how do you explain that without it being clunky with like Moff Gideon showing up and be like, you didn't kill me. You killed one of my, cl-. <laughs> I mean, it's, gonna be so Look, clunky. it's all about, 
it's all about execution, right? Like I, I, in Dave Filoni, I generally trust. So like I, I, uh, we'll see. I think particularly because I do believe there's some clone stuff going on in, in that Ahsoka trailer. Um, I, I wrote a whole thing about that, that I am pretty damn sure, uh, there, that, that the Ahsoka show is going to be, going to be heading, heading in that direction. So I, I, I think we might be exploring this a bit more very soon. Okay, that does it for today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast in Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please, rate and read this podcast in Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you on Monday.